0: Hey, hey, you're listening to the Modern Learner's Podcast, and I'm Missy Emler, your host. In this podcast, we explore topics in education through the modern learner's lens. We dig into our beliefs about learning, the modern contexts that impact learning in schools, and the practices that create the conditions for learning to take place. No matter how hard we challenge the status quo or how hard we push you, Remember this, we're not asking you to change, we're asking you to learn. Now, let's get started. Today we welcome Eli Luberoff, founder and CEO of Desmos. His math identity began to take shape when he was four but it didn't help him stay engaged in the K-12 curriculum. To this day, he does not have a high school diploma. He does, however, have a degree from Yale and he'll tell you that whole story in just a minute. So how does a high school dropout graduate from Yale and create an ed tech tool that is already impacting hundreds of thousands of students around the globe? He set out to make math accessible and visible. He wanted to provide a tool to do math that didn't require a separate, expensive technology when the tech in our pockets had all the necessary computing power. Desmos is most well known for being an online graphing calculator and it's free to use. I asked Eli about the business model behind Desmos and about the modern context of math and its impact on math instruction in schools. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with Eli Luberoff. Welcome, Eli. I am so happy to have you here on the Modern Learners podcast. And I've told everybody all about your background and how you're the founder of Desmos. So I'm gonna dive right in with a question to get us started. Amazing. Awesome. I want to know about your math identity because in Modern Learners community, which is the community where Um, Our closest friends hang out and talk all about education and the beliefs, contexts, and practices of the work that we do, but in our community, we've been talking about our math identity, and so since you're here during math month, I'd love to hear about your math identity and how it was shaped.
1: Absolutely. I had one of the strangest pathways through the education system that you can imagine, Um, Grew up on a tiny farm in the middle of central Massachusetts um, at this school that had, you know, eight or nine kids per grade. And my teacher, the kindergarten teacher, was also the principal of the school, was also the uh, chairman of the school board, and was also the worst person in the world. Like think of the trunchbull, that (laughs) level of that. She threw a chair at a second grader in the hallway. I remember one, she wouldn't let us go to the bathroom. I would pee my pants once a month. Just
0: horrifying. (laughs) The rural, the smallness in the rural though, that relates to me. Um, I was a principal of a K-12 school where I served about 370 students and it was the entire district. So that that piece really (laughs) resonates with me a lot.
1: And you seem like the exact opposite of this person. <laughs>
0: I, tr- I would not throw a chair. I would do my best
1: to avoid that. <laughs> no, I'm, can't imagine how I would even come to that. It was a second grader. Um, so uh, my mom ended up taking us out of that school um, when I was halfway through kindergarten. And we moved to Amherst, Massachusetts, where the schools are incredible. And we're surrounded by five different universities. Um, and so for elementary school, I followed a reasonably um, standard path. I, I had... Some teachers who to this day, I just still remember and still stay in touch with my fifth grade teacher Liliana class was this absolutely um, Incredible, incredible thinker and pushing all of us and just everything that you would hope for out of a teacher and my sixth grade teacher was like pretty terrible. And so I had this nice um, uh, Balance there Um, in middle school I ended up dropping out pretending to be a student at UMass Amherst for eighth grade. Um, And this is back before yeah, my math identity's is wild. Um, I took uh pre-calculus and then calculus at UMass Amherst when I was in eighth grade, pretending to be a student. My voice hadn't changed. My hair was down to my shoulders. I would get catcalled on campus. It was wild. Give me an enormous amount of empathy for how horrible it can be to be a woman on a college campus. Um, went back for ninth grade to the high school because I heard that it was better. Realized that I actually liked college quite a bit better. Dropped out again in 10th grade. Um, And this time I went over to Amherst College, which was just a bike ride away and pretended to be a student there. And I spent two full years there taking, um, you know, most of their math program and their physics program and uh, music and learning some languages and finally went off to. uh, So when you say
0: you pretended to be a student, does that mean like you just snuck into class and you didn't like pay tuition and all that good stuff? Or did you just you went through the motions, but you were much younger?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. I thought I was like tricking the system at the time. and In a retrospect, no, it's that my mom is incredible and supportive. And she obviously communicated with the professors and was like, this person is showing up. They're allowed to be here. But at Amherst College, I didn't I love it. paying any tuition. It was amazing. It was through this joint program with the high school. And when I dropped out of high school, I didn't tell the college, but I befriended a lot of those professors and they would just, you know, Pass me on to the next one and say, I promise you this kid is, is okay. Um, you can have him in, in your class. And so I did a full load of math and physics when I was at, um, at Amherst. But then I decided that I wanted to experience college in its totality. And so I went to Yale University, um, enrolled there, never graduated high school, still don't have a high school degree. Um, and went Still there. now. To this day. Yeah, I don't have a high school that degree.
0: That is crazy awesome. Very Isn't interesting. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, I
1: bet you well, you're expecting one of the statistics
0: of the dropout rate. Like, you're one of those people that didn't graduate and ends up in the 20-some percent of the state stats that doesn't graduate. Yeah. And you have a degree from Yale. I love this story. Well, this cannot not almost, get more
1: interesting. I almost didn't get that degree. I also <laughs> dropped out of college um, because this was when I first started to learn how to program. And I started a, a, a company that was a predecessor to this one. And finally, my mom, she says, Eli, I need you to get one degree. I don't care what it is, just get a degree. And so I finally went back um, to, to Yale, and I graduated almost on time, one year late, um, with a double degree in math and physics. And, uh, so that was okay. my pathway through.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And so Surprising, do you think, right? so was math just always your thing, or was there a person that sort of triggered that math, love for math in you?
1: Yeah, this is a, it's a fun question that I get a lot. Um, and I get it on kind of both, both sides. So people are often surprised to hear that someone who, um, didn't actually, the public school system didn't work that well for me, um, in a variety of ways, but focusing all of my energy and attention, my life's work is around trying to, um, improve math outcomes in in public education. I love Um, that. People assume that, um, I've been a math person my whole life. And that assumption is actually correct. My mom tells these stories about when I was, you know, like four and figured out that I could count past a thousand and just spent a whole afternoon doing it. She was petrified. Um, and then throughout, um, math has has come quite um, quickly to me, but also I just am always thinking about it. I was just, it's always in my head at any given time. Um, and so that part is, is definitely true. Um, but one of the things that I've developed an enormous appreciation for, and they say that Um, part of what makes teaching so hard um, is not just that you need to understand the the content, but you also need to have a deep degree of empathy for people who are in their various processes, the parts of the process of understanding the content. And so this has been a big part of my learning. um, And I learned an enormous amount from our teaching team here at Desmos about early student thinking and about, um, you know, when you see a piece of work that uh, my favorite quote on this is that you don't ever see a wrong answer, you see a right answer to a different question and that your challenge is to figure out what the question was that the student was answering when they um, got to this computation that didn't match what you were expecting. And so this idea of understanding how people understand math instead of just understanding math has been a big, big part of my learning.
0: That is quote. amazing. Can you say that quote again? Because that bears repeating.
1: Yeah, this is a quote. I think I first heard it from Marilyn Burns, who's one of my favorite mathematical thinkers. She's focused on elementary, we more middle and, and high school. Um, but I think she was the first one who, who phrased it this way, which is, um, every wrong answer is the right answer to a different question. Yes. And the I challenge love that. To figure out what that question was.
0: That is so, that's a great perspective. I love that perspective. So now that you're at Desmos, first of all, Desmos was, um, so I'm, I do a lot of training on, uh, classroom technologies. And Desmos blew me away the first time that I, I shared it with a group of teachers. And I didn't share it with the intention to sort of use it math, like from the instructional perspective. I knew that the teachers in the room were math teachers and they could likely use Desmos. And so we sort of dug in and we're playing with it. Not I was not trying to teach them how to use it because that would have been beyond my capabilities at that point. But we were playing a game that reminds me of, like, um, guess who or who's who. And yeah. my mathematical language had to be so precise. Um, yeah. It kind of also reminded me of, like, Battleship, the game. That's the, the game that we were playing. But I had to guess what my partner across the room, where they had put pieces on this board. And I played that game for 10 minutes and I thought, oh my gosh, that totally changed my perspective of that helped me understand the importance of precise mathematical language. And I literally played it for 10 minutes. And since then (laughs) I have been an evangelist for Desmos um, begging my kids, teachers to come to our workshops that are more significant training on how to use the tool in the classroom. But it is amazing. So tell me, where did it start and how has it evolved?
1: Yeah, um, that's so, the polygraph activity you're describing is one of my favorites. Um, and I, I think you, you completely nailed what we were hoping would happen, um, which is so much of math feels arbitrary. It's like someone named all of these different things and now it's my job as a student to memorize all of those things that someone else says is important. And the dream is to put students in a situation where not having the thing is just a real bummer. They're just like, oh, man, I can't win this game. And then you introduce a vocabulary. It relieves this stress that they were feeling, and it's now a mathematical gift instead of a mathematical burden. Um, so that's so fun that, that you felt that. Yes, experience.
0: that was my experience.
1: That is the best. Um, so background on Desmos, we started. Um, it Before you give off-
0: us the background, can yeah. you tell us in your own words what it is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Desmos is an increasing scope of things. Um, So, there's a few different ways to describe it. Most people, the first thing that they know about us, or the main thing they know about us, is that we make a digital graphing calculator. We make a graphing calculator that you can open on the web, that you can use on a phone, that you can use on a computer, Um, and a big motivation for this was thinking that students shouldn't have to spend over $100 for technology from the 1990s when everyone has a much more powerful computer in their pocket already, and so many schools have, for example, one-to-one Chromebook programs where a Chromebook costs the same thing as a handheld calculator, and that's nuts. Um, and so we built the software. It's free to use. You just go to desmos.com, open it up. Um, 50 million people around the world used it last year. They're just some of these numbers that still, when I think about them, kind of make me, me shiver a little bit. But our purview is much larger than that. Um, our goal as a company uh, is we want to help every student learn math and also love learning math. And both sides of that are very important to us. We think math is a you know, critical skill for communication. It's a critical skill for being a part of a functioning democracy, a critical skill for being a part of the knowledge economy that's, that's happening. Um, but we also hear over and over and over um, people either saying, I'm not a math person, I never liked math, um, and just fundamentally believe that that's not true. Like Everyone can uh, can do math. Everyone is a math person. It's definitely true that not everyone enjoys it and we think that a lot of that is um, fixable, that, that actually math is is beautiful and fun and powerful and the experience you had with, with polygraph. And so that's our that's our dream, that's what guides us. How do we get there? It's through a combination of currently three things and, and hopefully growing over time. So we've got our free tools, the graphing calculator, now a scientific and four function calculator. We think they're just fun to use, like try them, they're fun. Um, people enjoy playing with those. We also have been building out um, what we're calling classroom activities. And so these are uh, activities like the polygraph game, like a few others like this, um, now actually hundreds, where the whole class can engage uh, one-to-one or we recommend two-to-one two students at each computer, um, working through an activity together with a teacher able to monitor and then select and sequence student work and collect them all into a really rich conversation about mathematics. We've also started focusing uh, some of our energy on professional learning to help um, teachers uh, feel really confident using technology and really confident with this kind of approach to teaching mathematics. Um, and so it's, it's through all of those efforts um, that we're hoping to really change perception of students' perception of mathematics, students' perception of themselves as mathematicians, and teachers' perception of what is possible. Um, and to think, you know, math is, it, is not a chore. It's really not. It's an incredibly joyful experience if we set it up correctly.
0: Yeah, so tell me about Teacher PD and what you're learning from those experiences. Has anything surprised you about teachers' perception of math in the classrooms? And are you finding yourself bumping up against any of um, the potentially traditional beliefs related to mathematical education?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, So there's a few things that have come as an enormous surprise to me. Um, over over the years. So one of them is that um, the teaching community and the math teaching community in particular is way more connected than I ever expected. Um, so like some of the earliest adopters of Twitter were teachers, and it's still the only part of Twitter that isn't totally toxic, I think, is teachers <laughs> learning from each other and exchanging resources. Um, some of the first people with Facebook groups and with blogs and with um, the number of people on on YouTube and sharing and learning from each other, it's much, much more than I anticipated or than I think common perception is of teachers. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, really early adopters of new technology for sharing in ways that I find incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that that uh, is, I imagine, true of every subject, but is definitely true of math is that um, there's a lot of controversy about the right way to teach it, and especially around this right balance of conceptual understanding versus fluency and how to make sure that both are happening in sufficient quantities.
0: Right. So is that so is that basically the procedural and analytical divide, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's one of so many different divides. There's a divide between whether we should build towards calculus or building towards statistics. There's um, more disagreement than I expected. And it's more passionate than I expected considering how much there is that's similar. Um, and then there's also a big divide um, and this is different by grade level we're finding um, between kind of comfort with technology and uh, concern about technology. Mm-hmm. And one very surprising fact about me and my perspective as you know, the founder and creator of a technology company, is that I fall much further on the skepticism of technology side than anyone would expect. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, and and we'll, we'll get into more of this later on, I imagine, of the places where technology helps, the places where technology hampers, the hidden costs of technology, the fact that so much of ed tech is really trash.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, oh but- yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware.
1: <laughs> but that the potential of it when it's done right uh, it's it's so magical,
0: and right? So in the modern learners world, when we think about educational technology, one of the things that we look for is where is the agency. So what? Who is the who is gaining agency because of the technology? And we look that. at we look at the technology as is the system gaining agency and efficiency is the teacher gaining agency and efficiency or is the student gaining agency and efficiency? And the best technology tools have multiple, they provide agency to multiple system teachers or students, but it prioritizes the student agency and the independence and it's focused on learning, which my perception of Desmos is very much in that realm because there's not necessarily until you get probably into your paid products and potentially where you're going you didn't start out with a system benefit. You started out with wanting to make sure that you were supporting the learning of children. And so that's, that's where, that's how we sort of determine the quality of an ed tech tool is really a strong look at where the agency is just so you know that that's what our community would, would look at and ask.
1: I love that. I love that. And for us, it is this um, healthy balance between the students, the the ones doing the learning, and their teachers, um, who we think are just an absolutely critical ingredient of the learning process.
0: But what I find with Desmos yeah. is that as a teacher, when I started to use Desmos, my understanding of math became much clearer. As I a teacher, love, yeah. I was a learner.
1: For- 100%. As a, as a creator, I am also. And uh, one of the one of the requirements that we put on ourselves when we're launching new features is, did this help us learn something new? Is this gonna help someone else learn something new? And it's amazing how often, you know, we introduce our new statistics package and I start being able to explore questions and statistics that you just couldn't do in any other platform. Um, mm-hmm. and I so often will learn something from using the tools. Well,
0: so. what Desmos does for me is it, it really expands on the ability to make models.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And that's the part that I think uh, I am a word person, right? Like I really love words. I see words. I don't always see pictures. Like if you said apple, I would see the word apple, and I wouldn't see the picture of an apple. Yeah. But Desmos has, in what I have seen from afar, because I haven't do- dove in, I'm not a math teacher, but I have seen, visually seen, models of math that I wouldn't have been able to embrace prior to the tool being there. Yeah, I
1: I love that. I love that. That makes so much sense to me. There's one other um, dimension of who is this supporting and who is is benefiting from this. Um, I love that you framed it that way, that we've been thinking more and more about, and that I I find just so important, um, is also which categories of students are being helped. Um, And for me, there's a few that um, have, have surfaced as so important because so often the people who perceive themselves as math people fit into a very uh, well-defined mold. They tend to look a lot like me. It's, you know, white and Asian men are like, those are math people. <laughs> so a big, big effort of ours is um, making sure that, that every student, that women, that minorities, that people of color, the people who are traditionally excluded or feel excluded from math class and that their math identity is much more often like, no, that's not my thing, Um, that they first see all of these incredible mathematicians of color and and, uh, female mathematicians that they um, see in in the work themselves. We've put a lot of effort into um, making sure that it is inclusive and represents all of the different identities that actually do make up the mathematical world. So I love that question and to me, this idea of when you're evaluating, not just is it helping teachers and students versus um, systems, is this about reporting, um, but also is this something that is inclusive and equitable in the people that it's supporting? And that's become so important to us.
0: Yes. And I can see that that's important. Um, that that value is reflected in the team that you have, because if I look at your webpage, Um, with your team members. First of all, it's very funny. They have funny bios. Um, (laughs) I can't give you a specific example. I just remember laughing out loud. And um, there are women and people of color on that page. And so that is absolutely, absolutely refreshing because I think we have to be intentionally inclusive. Absolutely.
1: A hundred percent. And especially of these groups that historically have been excluded from the math world and from the teaching world and Um, All of those, all of those things.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So now I want to talk a little bit about the modern, so we're modern learners, right? And so we look at our beliefs about learning, the modern context, so how technology shapes what's happening in the world and what's happening in the world shapes what's happening in our classrooms. And couple that with, you know, practices, instructional practices that are um, impactful in relationship to engagement and assessment and instructional design, all of those things. But I really want to dive into the modern context of math. So what's happening in the world with math, and what should the impact be on our classrooms?
1: Yeah, I, I love this line of thinking. Um, and, and there's a couple different, couple different thoughts that immediately spring to mind. Um, so one of them is that um, math is increasingly, I think, a, a Critical part of the dialogue that's happening in the world that's breaking down, where there's just mistrust of facts based on source, um, based on political opinion, um, and having this foundational base where you can argue about facts instead of about people, um, attack, you know, positions instead of instead of the person delivering them is so important. And you look at um, the ability to weaponize statistics and to make it kind of say whatever you want to say and to be able to read through that and see through that feels so, so, so important. And math is this kind of uniquely situated um, language where uh, it's universal in in many ways and much more than, than most other um, subjects across uh, region, across language, across time. You know, a persuasive argument from 2,000 years ago about the Pythagorean theorem is still persuasive today, and that's incredible, and it's persuasive in any language. Um, and so... Having folks feel fluent and feel like they're able to employ some of these methods of looking at statistics and deciding significance and deciding outliers and saying, oh man, we hear about shark attacks, but it turns out that, you know, heart disease kills um, however many orders of magnitude more um, feels especially important today. But the other thing is that the economy, the direction that it's going, there's more and more jobs that are built on top of mathematical thinking. And you think of things, Uh, Things like, you know, engineers and and programmers who are now starting to define so much about the world. A a programmer at Google or at um, Facebook has such an outsized impact on um, the direction of the world. And so making sure that we're training as many people to be really thoughtful users of that power uh, is really important. And you see this as we're going to see an increase in artificial intelligence as kind of a central part of so many industries um, and a move towards uh, being able to, to understand with and and grapple with those tools and use them responsibly. Um, So it's a huge, huge challenge that the math classroom is at the center of.
0: Right. And the, the math, it's almost like the ethics, like the math people have to keep the ethics in front of the technology and I, I've recently started paying attention to the work coming out of the Center for Humane Technology with mm-hmm. um, Tristan okay. Harris, and I think it's super interesting, and I think it, it's, that work is wrapped up in lots of fields, but the practical application of math has a huge impact. And are we preparing kids to not only understand the math, but the impact of math?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think this is the one of the defining questions of our education system of the time, and it's not just in engineering. It's not just in artificial intelligence where you um, hear about the biases of the creators of algorithms ending up making biased algorithms that have this enormous, wide-ranging impact. When you think of um, a, a whole bunch of different uh, industries where that's happening, especially in law enforcement and those kinds of things, um, but you also see it in things like um, Financial markets, where so much of that is mathematical modeling, and using that responsibly, and using that um, to hopefully, you know, improve the the public good, instead of to figure out a way to cheat the system. And so, um, making sure you're right, having these, having uh, the combination of building up these skills along with the morality that needs to to counterbalance it, it's hard. It's so important. It's so important. And and you know, the school system is the place where this can
0: happen. Right, I I think that it happens there because because our goal is to create well-rounded learners, right? Absolutely. Like that's that's got to be our goal. So in lots of public education and and education in general, we have had a narrative that has been pushing um, standardized tests and closing the achievement gaps, and. In reality, that's a mathematical model that's telling a story and our education sector hasn't, in the policies that drive it, haven't done a great job of sharing the story that we really want or creating the narrative we really want and finding the math models that tell the story we want it to tell. We've sort of bought into um, a story and, and we're letting certain numbers, you know, rise to the top of that, which is a little bit concerning, but at the same time, I think we're making progress. When I think of the universal design for learning, um, the goal of UDL is to create expert learners. And that, if we can make that our work, then if we create expert learners, it doesn't matter what job they're in or where they're at. They Absolutely. will be a learner and they can get through these problems of practice per se because they'll learn their way through it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Learning to learn. So, so critical. I think that's spot on.
0: Right. There, nothing says I have to master calculus by the time I enter my college, but there could be a time that in life where I need or want to know that and I should feel confident, confident that I believe in myself that I could go back and learn that if I chose to, if it was relevant to the work I was doing. I think
1: that's spot on. Yeah.
0: So curious about um, Desmos's um, venture into curriculum work. And also, I think I'm also really curious about the funding model that you are in and keeping Desmos sustainable and alive for all of the kids coming up because it's super important. And I'm really, I really am curious and um, wanting to support the sustainability of Desmos. So what's the funding model and what do you need to happen at scale in order to maintain and sustain the work that's happening in Desmos?
1: Yeah, I love this question so much. And I think it should be asked more often of companies in general and ed tech companies in particular. Um, You know, how are you, how are you going to sustain this? because there's really only three possible answers. There's like, we don't know yet. We're probably reliant on venture capital. Um, and we might disappear, uh, and we might disappear soon. And I feel like this is a story that's repeated so often and a reason to, to not trust, um, technology because you start to rely on it and then it goes away. Mm -hmm. The second is it's a business model that we're not very proud of. Um, and that, probably shouldn't uh shouldn't be something you're using with kids maybe we're advertising to students maybe um it's built on the idea of selling data about um performance to to different students those kinds of things um and the third is we've got a sustainable business model that we're confident can grow with us and we're very fortunately in that third category so our business model um around our tools around our calculator in particular free for teachers and students a commitment that we will keep it so forever um we then license it uh, using what's called an API, where you can embed our tool inside of someone else's um, application uh, to curriculum companies and assessment companies. And so for example, we work with the SAT and with the ACT, and we're now built into the state level exams in 35 different states. uh, Just so our model, we license it to um, all of those assessments. Uh, Also, you know, the International Baccalaureate in its middle years and the MAP exam out of NWVA. There's about 60 different uh, Companies that so we you
0: have. must be connected to iReady as well, then.
1: Uh, we're just starting to work with iReady. Yep, uh, Curriculum Associates, exactly. Yeah, and so all of them pay us an annual licensing fee. And I this, love that it's this like beautiful uh, symbiosis because they benefit from the fact that people know Desmos, that people can practice for free on Desmos from our years and years and years of work making the product really good, and then their money lets us continue to fund the development of making it better over time. Um, and so we are a sustainable company at this point. We've been around for eight years. We just continue to grow every single year. Um, and we're going to keep doing that model. We're also just starting to explore um, working directly with schools and districts. And you alluded to this of features We have a that
0: pilot coming we up.
1: Do. We do. We're just starting to pilot a full middle school math curriculum, just seventh and eighth grade for this year. Um, based on the amazing resources put together by Illustrative Math and Open Up Resources. And just thinking, what what would it look like to make the very best curriculum that has ever been made? Um, combining this unbelievably sturdy foundation with Desmos's prowess in technology and design. Um, We're already way oversubscribed for the pilots.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine because I can't imagine the interest that you've gotten knowing what I know about schools and making curricular decisions and knowing how much they want to improve and modernize their math work. I take it back to my personal experience, you know, with a specific textbook. And I had four new problems each day in the 32 problems. There were four new; the rest were review, and the odds were in the back of the book. I mean, (laughs) it was like awful. It was a clear the textbook did not work for my brain. It was not challenging. I literally copied every assignment. I've already told our audience that it'll be okay, but. I just know that there's definitely a shift um, coming and being experienced that we want to make models. We want to work with the math. We want to see it in relevant situations. And the Desmos tool provides that opportunity in a way that nothing before it has been able to do.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so fun to hear. Yeah. And and this has been our hypothesis is that we can make great tools and that will have some impact. And we think a very big one, I'm very proud of it, but that the way to like really, really change the way that students engage with math and teachers teach math and help support um, exactly what you're describing with these shifts, we really need to have resources that you can use every single day.
0: Right. So and I love that, you. that you're partnering with, um, other organizations that are already impacting schools in a way that is sustainable. So it's not like you have to sell your soul to keep it going because you're leveraging the people and the companies that are already trusted in schools. And so that is, um, it's amazing. And I also think that it's important. So I have nervousness around, um, free tools, obviously, because sometimes they go away, but also yeah. because sometimes the procurement process of those, um, isn't solid. And so while 10 years ago, I was like, let's try a whole bunch of stuff and see what works. And I'm like the techie teacher. Now I having been in administration and worked with tons of teachers, potentially using two, two different tools in the same classroom that have the same function or outcome, but essentially are just two different brands being built by different people. That makes me struggle because what happens yeah. is then the, that creates situations where kids are code switching and they're yeah. having to, between classrooms, jump from this tool to that tool. That essentially does the same thing, but because one teacher found this one and another teacher found the other one, um, there's no systemic uh, understanding of what, we're going to sort of buy into. It would be like having three different textbooks for math in second grade based on what the teacher chose to do. We wouldn't typically do that. And the best ed tech tools have a specific function um, and goal that they're trying to reach. And so we need to get better at figuring out what we're going to do, what tools we're going to use at a systems level While also not limiting new things we try, you know, we don't need to buy something and then keep it around for 10 years because the budget says we need to, we have much more flexibility in the, in the digitizing of curriculum tools, but we need to be more careful about how we select them.
1: I love that. And this idea of, you know, having 150 things isn't better than having one really, really good thing. The analogy that we like to use, and we've been doing this with our curriculum as well, because there are tens of thousands of lessons that have been made on our site by our users. It's actually up in the hundreds of thousands now, um, but the ones that we feature are the ones that we invested super deeply. Each one of them took us a month to build and we think that they're incredible. And the analogy is, you know, on Netflix or on HBO, there's an enormous, 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 way more content than you could ever get through in your lifetime, and there's a few of them that are really good, and that's what everyone watches. And so our goal is to make sure that we continue to make the very best thing in the area that we're in, because um, classrooms deserve it. Teachers deserve it. Students Yes.
0: It. Yes, absolutely. And as you do that, people are going to continue to deepen their learning in math, and I'm sure. very, very excited for that because I'm, I was one of those people who came out of high school saying I'm not a math person. And now my, my life, my job makes me a math person. I, it, I, everybody, sure you are one. Everybody's a math person and we just have to accept that and make it as relevant as we can for kids. Is there anything else that you're super excited about or anything else that you'd like <laughs> the audience to check out um, before we sign off?
1: Oh man, there's so many things. Um, Be on the lookout for an announcement that's coming in a few weeks about a fun contest that we're running for students. Um, Also, any teachers who are interested, we have this amazing program that we do once a year called the Desmos Fellows. um, Application only, all expenses, long weekend in San Francisco at our office. Um, Just training really deeply, partly on our technology, but even more on um, some of these ideas of, of teaching practices using technology that we think work. Yes. So. Definitely, and
0: that announcement's coming soon, you say?
1: That one's actually already out. Yeah, the applications are open for another three weeks, I think.
0: I'll um, definitely get that out and I'll share like, that for you.
1: Um, but yeah, and then just my biggest plug is that the way that Desmos has gotten to be as uh, the places where we're good, it's because we have gotten feedback about how we can improve. Um, and any ideas you have on how we can do a better job of helping more students learn math or love learning math a little bit more, we always, always, always want to hear it, so.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Eli, for everything today and chatting with us, and I thank you for creating Desmos and creating a team that continues to do that work with you. We're very excited.
1: Yeah, and it's all about the team. I get way too much credit. They're incredible. Thanks for having me here today with you.
0: Thanks so much for joining us on the Modern Learners podcast. Be sure to come back next week because we're digging into instructional practices with Dr. Nikki Newton. Her work with math running records is taking on a life of its own. You really don't want to miss all of the goodness that is Dr. Nikki Newton. She's amazing. In the meantime, be sure you head over to modernlearners.community and sign up or sign in. We've got all the show notes there for you. One last favor. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social, tag us in your post So we know you listened and we can give you a shout out the next time. That's all I got for you right now. But as I used to say, have a great day. Don't get in trouble.